I'm Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today is part three and yay. Of three. (laughs) Of the Brenda Joyce Holland case. Um, Before we get started, though, Samantha, what am I drinking? (laughs) You are drinking again. uh, The Wicked Weed Fresh Pressed. Um, it's a favorite of both of ours. Oddly enough, it's local for you, but I have it down here and it's one of the few actually that we can do that. Yeah. It's funny because like I live two hours away from Wicked Weed Brewery, but it's never in stock anywhere near me. And, but I go to Alabama and it's in stock (laughs) there. Not just in stock in Alabama, but in my little neck of the woods, uh, package store that everybody goes to that's that's where it is you don't even have to go to Birmingham you can just go to this little backcountry place <laughs> yeah middle of nowhere package store has it I can't get it in Charlotte <laughs> thanks uh, but the reason I'm drinking it is because I just got back from vacation don't I look glowing and lovely you do so much so you look so tired oh wait you work today <laughs> you know what it's like being off for a little bit and coming Mm -hmm. back to that um so while my husband and i go when we go to Asheville, we go to Asheville every year for our anniversary hi this was 10 years one year married 10 years together congratulations oh thanks uh it was a great trip we actually stay at a hotel that's right next to Wicked Weed, and so we just walked down there, and we just stocked up on the favorite beers of ours, so cheers. Cheers. And Wicked Weed's good. Like, I, I don't think there's ever been a beer that I've had from them that has not been quite tasty, so enjoy. Oh, for sure. Thank you. I will enjoy it. Samantha's not drinking today. She's being lame. Oh, that's okay. I'm that's all right okay. with that. Uh, gotten past that at this point (laughs) you'll be able to drink again soon (laughs) no she's not pregnant no (laughs) no no actually the opposite (laughs) yeah so uh send all of your well wishes to her throughout this week she's having a little procedure no she's not having anything removed or anything like that but (laughs) we hope everything goes well thank you Oh, you're welcome. I'm going to be thinking about you tomorrow. I'm, 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 I'm going to be asleep. up and, and like already through the surgery before most people are even awake. So yeah, I'm going to be snoozing. <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be wishing me a happy healing time. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to text Paul and be like, is she awake yet? <laughs> Cause I just woke up. So I figured <laughs> I haven't had coffee yet. Anyways, let's get into this. We're almost done. This one is not going to be as long as the other ones, but it is still going to be pretty long. But we're going to come to a conclusion, and that conclusion, spoiler alert, is that there isn't a conclusion because this isn't a soft case, but there's a lot that goes along with it. Now. So in other words, if you were hoping to be satisfied at the end of this three-parter that was originally a two-parter and is now a three-parter and this is the third part, no. Sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry. If You'll you want to figure it out. <laughs> I I like unsolved cases and I like 
I like that kind of stuff. It, it's what fuels my, and that's what I wanted this podcast to be is to, you know, inform people that these things are still going on and to whatever, even though this one's kind of old. Anyway, so <laughs> when we last left off, Sheriff Cahoon and the SBI agents had finally decided to start looking into Dr. Linus Edwards. Before I dive into Dr. Linus Edwards, there is something I need to clear up. It's a correction of sorts. Sam, you asked me on a previous part of this million parter if Rob Breeze had been interviewed, and I said no. Do you remember Rob Breeze? Mm-hmm. He was the, for listeners, Rob Breeze was the date that Brenda Holland had gone on with previous to Danny Barber and something terrible had happened. We don't know the details. She didn't want to talk about basically. Correct. Well, I was wrong. That's so hard to say. Are you going to make it? Uh, I don't know. You should have seen the face she was making. (laughs) (laughs) It's like she like had a toad in her mouth or something. It was awful. It tastes like vileness coming out of my mouth when I say I'm wrong. Anyway. Good thing it doesn't happen too often. Good thing. So a friend and also minor suspect in this case, Houston Bob Waters, if you remember from part two, Houston Waters was the man Brenda and Danny ran into on the beach the night of their date and spoke to for a good while. He was a friend of Rob Breeze and said, um, he might have told uh, Rob Breeze of Brenda's date that night after he had run into them. A theory was that Rob Breeze's obsession with Brenda may have led him to seek Brenda out that night and confront her. Because if you remember, he also like showed up to her boarding mm-hmm. house. He had like people like he was obsessed. Also, he was a scumbag for whatever he did to Brenda. For sure. However, Rob Breeze gave investigators a solid alibi. This alibi was privately given, so we don't know what it is. Officers didn't even question Rob on what happened between the two that upset Brenda so badly the night of their date. So is that why you initially thought that he hadn't been interviewed? Because it just wasn't really, there wasn't. There was basically no point in even mentioning it since they don't release anything. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Well, I've read this book a million times and then I go into like newspaper articles and stuff like that and I bounce back. And when I was rereading my notes, I realized I'd put in there that he did have an alibi and I was like, where did I pick that up from? So I had to go back and like figure out where I found that he had an alibi. So, yeah, even though we don't know what his alibi is, which we should, I don't understand why that's private. Are they typically private? I mean, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, I would Unless it, there was a specific request and there was a reason that they would need to protect it. I guess. Maybe his attorney got involved and made sure they didn't release any of that information. Well, also- Like, I'll provide the alibi as long as you don't release it. Well, this is also like a very, this island, the more and more I've just sunk into this case, the island is a very, and I think I've said this before, it's a, it's a 
we against them kind of mentality. And Rob Breeze was a local. So maybe they're, you know, whatever. I I have my own personal vendetta against Rob Breeze because of the way he treated Brenda, whatever that might have been. And so my opinion is colored based on that. Let Fair that enough. be known. So since the police... Oh, God, why did I write that? <laughs> So since the police are so good at washing evidence in this case, you could say they washed their hands of this theory, too. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> Heck. Oh, that was pretty good. All right. Good for me. Um, you get so, one. <laughs> I get one. Uh, in the meantime, two pieces of rope had been found during the investigation. One at Acock Brown's front yard, the helpful photographer that cleaned the necklace and the sound. And I'm being serious. And a piece found by Dr. Edwards' son-in-law on Dr. Edwards' boat after Brenda's body was found. These pieces of rope were tested and nothing came back. So there was like no evidence or anything like that that came back. But Same one half was where her body was found and one half was in his boat no one half was uh in acock brown's front yard which is um that's the photographer that's the photographer and one half was found in dr edwards the dentist's boat Mm -hmm. okay and here's the thing like so i don't even know I, i think the rope pieces match each other and that's why they correlated. And if you also remember, like, pieces of Brenda's um, belongings had been scattered. Like, somebody had thrown them out of a car mm-hmm. as they were driving. So, like, the book was found somewhere. Her makeup bag was found somewhere. Her shoes were found somewhere. So, I think they were just picking up things as they went. And they found that piece of rope in Acock Brown's front yard. This is me speculating. And then they also found a matching piece in Dr. Edwards' boat. But there was no evidence on it to prove that it was used for anything. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So, same with the clothing. Duh. It was washed. And with the hair found in David's car. If you remember uh, David, mm-hmm. he had blonde hair in the car, in his car. And when they tested it, it came back inconclusive. While Acock Brown's photos taken at the scene came out fine, the photos taken by the state trooper on the scene, which would have been used in a court case, not the ones Acock Brown took, all came out blank. How odd. I don't know. I'm, uh, I don't know. So, Yeah. Now that that's out of the way, we can turn our attention back to Dr. Edwards. In September, Dr. Edwards' son-in-law, Jesse Bill Watson Jr., met with SBI agents secretly. And I say Bill because I think he just prefers to go as Bill. So, Bill Watson told investigators that Dr. Edwards was a paranoid schizophrenic, which Watson isn't a psychiatrist, so, you know... How many of us don't feel that way about our in-laws? Well, well, fair enough. <laughs> Wait, no, that's not true. I actually, my my in-laws are pretty great, but I got lucky. 
Um, yeah, I don't actually feel that way, but I have heard way too many horror stories. Now my husband might feel that way about some of my in-laws. Uh, that, None that would fair. listen to this podcast, but... Mm, we won't talk about mine. You might listen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, he also told them that Dr. Edwards had hurt his back and was... Uh, on a prescription drug called Demerol, which he'd gotten from his other son-in-law, Woody Fearing, from, sorry, who was the town psychiatrist, or, my God. Well, now I we mean, have a psychiatrist. Are we sure he's not diagnosed with that? No. <laughs> Woody Fearing is uh, Dr. Edwards' other son-in-law, who is the town pharmacist. Okay, but just as a pharmacist, he can't just give him prescription meds. Yeah, I know. That's I had not to... how that works. <laughs> yeah, so he actually did get a prescription from okay. uh, the <laughs> local doctor, but that's where he picked up that prescription. Um, it was also said he had hurt his neck, not his back, but that's not ever clarified which one it was. This was after Brenda went missing, and no one knows how Dr. Edwards hurt his neck and or back. So he apparently hurt these after she went missing? That is correct, madam. Oh, okay. Okie doke. Um, and so, yeah. Do with that what you will. I mean, I just know that it's really tough moving a body. You know, yeah. when the person's not helping you out, it makes it a lot more difficult. Or tossing it over a bridge. <laughs> Yeah, that too. Mm, yeah, uh, could be that. Who knows? Um, he also gave them a note that someone else had given him. It was allegedly left at Danny Barber's house the night Brenda was murdered. It read, Rodney. Rodney's one of the roommates of Danny Barber. Just to clarify. Um, I Rodney, I won't be gone late. Am at the Hill House. Be back around 2 a.m. Relax and sleep tight, Earl. Thanks for the beer, Rodney. Dottie. For those who don't remember, Dottie is Dr. Edward's wife. Earl and Rodney are um, Danny's roommates. And I, in the social media post that I put out there last weekend for the last episode, um, that was a picture of... Um, Brenda and Dottie, so you could see how much they looked alike. Yeah, and they do look a lot They're alike. A little, yeah, they do. A friend of Dottie said she picked Dottie up that night after her and Dr. Edwards had fought. It was an intense fight. They had stopped by Danny's house, and Dottie went in to borrow a beer and left the note. Borrow a beer. Daddy sounds like me. <laughs> Actually, yeah. <laughs> if you live closer, I could just see me having notes all over the place. Like, oh, hey, just needed to borrow a beer. I owe you. <laughs> I owe you. Uh, I'll bring you a case this weekend. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, so there were several accounts of Dr. Edwards' violent and bizarre behavior as well. I won't go into details, but dude was severely fucked up. Agents did go to Greenville to speak to his ex-wife, Ida. She told agents that Dr. Edwards had attempted suicide while he was in the service. 
She said he had severe emotional problems along with his drinking and slashed his wrist. And I want to clarify that he slashed his left wrist. Okay. So he is obviously unstable. He For has sure. um, thoughts and actions of self-harm. And he's uh, drinking apparently and also according to some taking some rather possibly strong drugs as well. Mm-hmm. Possibly yeah. at the same time. Yeah. But he's taken that Demerol um, after. So, but that also might come into play, you know, in other things. Agents also talked to Dottie's grandmother, Belva Midget Daniels. Belva. I love the name Belva. I do love the name Belva. I had a manager named Belva. Oh, <laughs> so jealous. <laughs> She was was the mama, mama hen. So from a lot of like what I could um, tell between the books and the article that I read, um, a lot of Dottie's family did not talk to police. Like they thought that the uh, abuse and Dottie's relationship with Dr. Edwards was between them. It was like a family matter. So, and I mean, of the times, you, that's not uncommon. It's not super uncommon now. No, it's not. But Belva was ready to talk to the cops. That's right. These agents. And this is what she told agents. I don't know what the problem is between Dr. Edwards and Dottie, but I do know they have been having trouble almost ever since they have been married. On numerous occasions, he has been awful, mean, to Dottie and beaten her up on several occasions. At one time, she had been admitted to Albemarle Hospital. On numerous occasions, she has had to leave the house and take her children. Dottie's two children told me that on one occasion, Dr. Edwards had tied her mother to a chair and he had their German police dog, it's a German shepherd, sit beside the chair and would not allow anyone to untie her. I talked to Dottie about this and she would not say anything about it other than Dr. Edwards was just playing and she did not understand why her kids had told anyone about the incident. Dr. Edwards. Yeah. Dr. Edwards ran his wife and their children off from their home on September 12th. She stayed at her mother's home in Mantillo until September 16th. Dottie was, has now returned to their home and is living with Dr. Edwards again. She was spilling the tea. She was spilling the tea. One thing I want to point out is Dr. Edwards seems to be good with knots. This might be, you know, relevant in a case with ligature strangulation. Possibly. Possibly. Uh, So that's just something to keep in mind. Uh, Because this is the second time we've heard of him tying Dottie up. But also just... A throwback because it just occurred to me because it took me a minute, even though I'm not drinking, um, for it to actually process in my brain. He has military, a uh, military background, which I'm sure not to some extent, at least at some point, were in at part of their training, but also would be um, probably helpful if you were going to say intentionally or accidentally kill somebody. Might might have something to do with it too it might you never know you know all all this is speculation like i said this case isn't solved and we're not gonna solve it 
We're just simply here to tell you about it in a three-part episode. <laughs> and then leave, leave you just hanging off a cliff. There you go. I'm just going to leave you dangling right off the cliff. Hope you're ready. So finally, they interview Dr. Edwards. Hooray! Right? Probably not. Uh, not much. I feel like they're not going to get much if they're just interviewing him. So what's weird is like they don't interview him in the police station. They go to his office. Well, they isn't go- this the same guy, though, that went into the courthouse saying that he wasn't guilty of it and that they had been uh, saying stuff about him and they hadn't even said anything to him yet and he was drunk and they didn't even take him to a drunk tank? They just took him back home? Yeah. So yeah. it's not that strange if you put it into context. It's just, you know, whatever. So during, uh, I just, it makes me so mad just how bungled this case is. Like it could, it could be solved today. It could for sure. I feel like there's a lot of miss, a lot of unsolved that could have been solved had the correct people been doing the correct things, even with what they had at the time. No, I completely agree. 100%. You know, if you just, don't wash all of the evidence. That's helpful. It's definitely helpful. helpful. Uh, So here's his statement. On Friday, June 30th, I had a normal work day here. And as far as I know, I went home and had dinner as usual and went to bed at my regular time, which was about nine or nine 30 PM. As far as I know, as far as I know, I have no knowledge of leaving my house that night. On the night of July 1st, Saturday night, my wife and I had a few words and I left home and went to the Drafty Tavern and there had a few beers with a local couple. I left the tavern at approximately 1130 to 1145 p.m. and went back home. My wife and I had another argument and she left home after I had gone to bed. I woke up at approximately 130 a.m. and she was not in the room. I got up and looked and both cars were in the driveway and I took for granted that she left the house on foot. I got up dressed and went to the sheriff's department to, and talked to a deputy sheriff whom I believe was Will Daniels and told him and the radio dispatcher that my wife had left home and asked that they contact Mr. Mrs. Cora May uh, Bass Knight. That's Dottie's mother. And see if she if she was there. The deputy sheriff said he would contact Mrs. Mrs. Bass Knight, and if Dottie were not there, he would put out an alert to see if she could be located. The deputy told me to go on back home, and they would contact me later. I went home and waited about twenty minutes. I didn't receive any call from the sheriff's department, so I went on to bed. I wasn't too concerned because my wife and I had had several arguments on weekends when we were both drinking and she would often leave home and go spend the night with her mother or relatives or friends, but she would always come back home the next day. I didn't know Brenda Joyce Holland and I don't know Danny Barber, Rodney Brett or Earl Miras. I do know the house where they lived, but I didn't know at the time who was living there, nor had I been on that road on any night that I can remember, but I have been on this road on several occasions during the daytime, especially on weekends to go to the trash dump. 
But to my knowledge, I never saw Brenda Joyce Holland. I've had two traffic violations, and that was the only time I've ever been in court. So my next phrase is, but like his story is bogus. His neighbor saw his mistress's car out Mm -hmm. front July 1st and all that. So yeah. Also, like it does, it does come out like he did go to the um, sheriff's department Sunday morning. This was two days after Brenda went missing or one day after Brenda went missing because she went missing on the morning of Saturday. But I think that might have just been to build an alibi or some kind of story. I That's me speculating. And the police never... The, the, the whole thing of him saying, well, I don't recall, as far as I know, that's a weird thing to say when you're I, giving a statement. It's definitely a like, weird... Like, were you drunk when you during this time so you can't say for sure? I mean, probably he was a raging alcoholic. So... I yeah. was... I can't say for sure, basically, is what he should say. So I, how would you take any of what he said to be even remotely in fact? Well, you can't take anything he says seriously, honestly. Like... <laughs> It's just, it is what it is. But what really pisses me off is the fact that, like, the cops, the agents, the SBI agents, never questioned him about his inconsistencies in his statement. Not, not his statement, per se, but the fact that his neighbors, both of his neighbors, have said... Mm-hmm. That that was not true. They never questioned him about that fact. I mean, what even got them to question him at all? Like, what was it that I finally honestly, like forced them to have to make it look like they gave a damn? I honestly think that it was the pressures from um, people on the island, and that was it. Like, I think that 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 was only it. It's just the whole thing's just really. It, it stinks it stinks of a cover-up or at least hiding it it it's almost like they at the very least it almost sounds like they suspected so just in case and i just don't i don't know that's what it seems like i mean you're washing the clothes the photographer messing up the necklace i could i could say oh that's just an idiot but the police actually washing the clothes. You can't tell me they didn't know what they were doing. Well, it's funny you bring that up. Um, I didn't put it in my notes, but there was so, um, uh, what was it? D Duval or something like that. The police chief who actually handed the clothes off to be washed later, later on, uh, I think it's in the eighties. He's actually, um, convicted of covering up a hit and run. Yeah. Lovely. So there is kind of like a, um, a history there, a history there of cover-ups. He, according to, um, the book, he does like, you know, redeem himself in a way, but, uh, you still covered up a murder sir so you know that that is what it is but 
you know, anyway. Moving well, on. The thing that ticks me off the most about these situations where they suspect, because a lot of times they don't even know from other cases that I've heard where they have covered up and then they didn't know for sure. And then it ends up being somebody else is when they do this because they suspect it's somebody else, even though they don't know and they wash the clothes or they do some or evidence ends up being missing. It's not just that they're, they're covering up a crime for somebody that they know that they're like, Oh, they would never do this intentionally or this was a one-off whatever. But even if that person didn't do it, now you've disposed of evidence that could get the actual person who did it caught and prevent them from doing it again. Yeah. So either way, you are effing up an investigation and you're also preventing somebody who was killed or had a crime committed against them from getting their justice. So that's it just, there's no reason. There's there's no reason whatsoever to just not do your job. No, Just not. do your job. Just, yeah, just do your job. They, uh, so they did, after this interview, they did give him a polygraph test, and he passed. But again, those sucked butt back then. Mm-hmm. Also, if the doc is, why did I write that? Jesus Christ. Also, if, uh, Dr. Edwards was on medication and alcohol, it would be skewed. Mm-hmm. What the fuck Especially if it was something that was going to calm him down. Mm-hmm. Which both of those are downers, so mm-hmm. he would have been very, very calm. Um, the day after his interview, Dr. Edwards called the agents and told them he was seeing patients from 8 a.m. to noon the morning Brenda went missing. So he couldn't have been up all night drinking. <laughs> You're laughing? You're you're laughing. Yeah. It's funny, right? What were the hours again? 8 a.m. to noon. <laughs> the following That's morning. the hours. That's the hours that the bank used to be open when we yeah. were the morning after. <laughs> Did we be up until like 3 o'clock in the morning? <laughs> drinking our brains out and then we both show up to work <laughs> and work the drive through <laughs> oh poor <laughs> I'll bleep her name <laughs> she had to deal with us <laughs> I'm gonna have to bleep a lot of names right there yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah it's just the hours were like exact I couldn't yeah, exactly, stop exactly. the only way I actually ever made it in after those nights was because you literally dragged me off your couch <laughs> I didn't live with you. Why was no. I there? Because <laughs> it just made more sense. So, yeah. So, he, you know, he basically has an alibi for it, right? Sure. Um, so, the agents eliminate Dr. Edwards as a suspect. Wow. That's that's some solid detective work right there. And you don't typically get that, a major suspect. In a case, you don't typically get them written off as not eliminated as a suspect. Mm-mm. Especially when the neighbors saw him at his house all that morning with his mistress. And also, he can just falsify his hours and paperwork because he's the only dentist on the island. (laughs) But sure, let's eliminate him. He gave a good alibi for the morning after. (laughs) To justify the night before. I've never, I don't know that I've ever heard that 
in any other case I have ever heard. And I have listened to a lot of cases. I don't think I've ever heard of a, of a suspect minor or major being eliminated because he couldn't have been doing it the night before because he would have needed sleep because he worked the next morning. I just, well, yeah. And okay. So you're, (laughs) your only excuse is that you couldn't be drinking and up all night and then gone to work. Okay. What if you weren't drinking? You could have been up all night murdering somebody. Who knows? Or you could have been drinking and murdering all night and then gone to work drunk. I mean, you were... Wouldn't be wouldn't be the first time that's ever happened. No, ma'am. So he's eliminated as a suspect. Even though he was cleared with the police, he wasn't in the eyes of the Islanders. Apparently, Dottie paid a visit to Cora Twyford several months later. Cora was Brenda's landlord, if you remember, and told Cora, I'm sorry, that should have been me. But the agents kept pursuing Danny Barber. Also, the only reason why I remembered Cora was the last name because you had such a difficult time saying Twyford. I still think it's like Twyford, Twyford, but I'm just saying Twyford. So sue me. Don't sue me. I have no money. I'm trying to buy a house and I have no money to buy a house. In November, SBI agents visited Danny. He had gone back to school at this point. Um, where, where was he at school? Uh, Chapel Hill. Danny um, was the one that they were zeroing in on early on, right? Yeah, that was the one who had been on the date with uh, Brenda the night she disappeared. Okay. So SBI agents go all the way to Chapel Hill to visit Danny once he had gone back to school. And this was in November. He pretty much stuck to the same story he had told investigators with one my one change. And I say it's a minor change, but investigators think it's a major one, and it might be. He now says he took Brenda Holland's blouse off when they were lying in bed. And if you remember... That was missing. It was missing. But they never found the blouse in uh, Danny's room or anywhere else. So, like, if you're a really hot, heavy, like, makeout sesh, you're taking mm-hmm. somebody's shirt off. Oh, for sure. A guy is definitely going to take off a shirt. Yeah. Of the girl that he's with. I mean, if I'm with a girl, I'm going to take her shirt off, too. But. You know what I mean. Yeah. Just. The shirt's coming off. But if he fell asleep, she's not going to leave the house without her blouse on. So she probably put it back on and walked out of the house. That's all I'm saying. Speculation. I have no idea. I'm not an investigator. I'm not a professional at anything. (laughs) Not true. (laughs) They got nothing else out uh, uh, from Danny, but this only fueled their suspicion of Danny was the blouse coming off. Right, because this is suspicious, whereas the alibi provided by a good town doctor of he couldn't possibly be out because of this, because of me working in the morning, that that's not that's not sus at all. Yeah. This guy, this this kid's not giving anything up. That's suspicious. That that in and of itself. Oh, it's soup suspicious. Soup suspicious. This is so. Okay, keep going. But don't worry. It uh, hurts my head. Oh, it it really does. It hurts. It hurts my whole soul. My, don't worry though. SBI agents don't give up. 
<laughs> okay. Because months later, they took another shot at Danny in April. Just poor kid. So we're, we're coming up on a year, almost. Danny repeated the same story and finally told agents he would not be answering any more questions until he could reach his lawyer. Attaboy. There you go, buddy. In fact, I might actually strike up a lawsuit for, uh, oh, I don't know, harassment? Yeah. No you have nothing on me. You can't arrest me, but you keep bothering me. Oh. Oh, you think this is bad? <laughs> Just wait. Uh... So they tried again, but Danny wasn't able to get uh, his lawyer on the phone. So that was that for now. They pretty much, I say they tell Danny, but they pretty much threaten Danny that this was not going to be the last time they hear from him. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I didn't have my tape recorder on. Can you uh, repeat what you just said? I said, uh, have a good day. (laughs) (laughs) Good sir. Would you like your uh, laundry cleaned? <laughs> We're really good at that. <laughs> I know somebody. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. So it's about time that I introduce you to Police Chief Ken Whittington Sr. Please do. Apparently, Ken Whittington uh, and Sheriff Cahoon didn't get along very well. Their departments shared jurisdiction, but since Brenda's body was found in the county, Cahoon's department had clear jurisdiction. Whittington, however, started his own unofficial secret investigation into Brenda's murder. And one year after Brenda was murdered, Ken had a confession. Do you remember Dennis Midget and David Whaley? Mm-hmm. Okay. They, just to refresh listeners, David Whaley was driving around, is the uh, preppy guy who's upper middle class, like to drive around, drink a lot with Dennis Midget, who uh, was had a low IQ and did odd jobs and was beloved by citizens, blah, blah, blah. During a meeting with Cahoon, Chief Whittington, Mayor Midget. Why are there so many midgets on this island? I don't know. That, that's what I asked the first time. And members of Manteo Police Commission, Whittington relayed the confession given by Dennis Midget, and it is as follows. I, Dennis Midget, after advice of my constitutional rights, want to say that David Whaley and myself were riding around the night that Miss Brenda Holland was missing. We saw the girl walking towards Manteo on the Burnside Road. We were traveling in the same direction. David Whaley offered the girl a ride and she refused. At which time, David Whaley got out of the car and grabbed the girl and told her to get in the car or he would kill her. The girl screamed and he threw her in the back seat and got in the back seat with her. He ran his hands up her dress and she was fighting him and telling him to stop. David kept right on and got fresh with the girl. After which, David Whaley tied the girl's hands behind her and tied her feet and said he was going to dump her overboard. During all this time, I asked him to stop, but he would not. I got out of the car and told him I was going for help. David Whaley then got out of the car and stopped me and threatened to shoot me, but I did not see a pistol. David Whaley then drove out to Scarborough Town Road all the while the girl was begging him to carry her home, and I was begging him to let me out. After we passed the House of Joy on the Scarborough Road, David Whaley threw her pocketbook out. 
He drove out to the highway, turned left, and drove to Fort Raleigh. He drove through the theater parking lot and threw a book she had with her out the window of the car. He stopped the car and indecently exposed himself by the car. I tried to untie the girl and run, but he stopped me. He started, he started to the bridge and he threw something out of the car. He stopped the car at the highest point on the bridge. We had a fight. I hit him in the nose and he hit me in the nose. I went to the main part of the bridge and waited. David Whaley then threw the girl overboard. She was screaming. He then turned the car around on the bridge. I got in the car and he floorboarded it back to Mantillo and put me out in front of the sheriff's office. Since then, he has been threatening to shoot me or run me over if I talk. We have been in fights since then. What's interesting is that Rayleigh points out in his book that Midget says on multiple occasions that David threw Brenda overboard, which indicates that they're on a boat, not a bridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I caught that too. Also in his book, he points out that Midget has a low IQ, and so the quote of he indecently exposed himself would not be something in his repertoire of, like, vocabulary. Probably not. But, devil's advocate, he could have easily heard that in the past. And con contextualize, like, can know what that means and just identified that. True. Very true. Now, is this a written statement or was this one he gave verbally that they wrote down? Because typically they make them write one out, but if his IQ is low, maybe he couldn't do that so well. We'll get. That's what I'm asking. We'll get because if that were those words were spelled correctly, now I'm going to be questioning it because that is I don't know that I could spell that word correctly to be honest. Exactly. Um, I'm not exactly sure which way it was given, uh, and I don't think it matters. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Okay. Cahoon didn't buy the confession and made it clear he didn't. Before any arrests were made, uh, he visited the pathologist. So, before we get to that part, Sheriff Cahoon didn't believe this as soon as he got there. Like, he actually heard about um, Whittington getting the um, confession a day before this came, and he didn't believe it then. But, I mean, again, Cahoon had his eyes set on Danny Barber. Right, he already knew who was guilty. But, New, quote-unquote. Yeah. Um, so, he went in already thinking, like, Whittington's full of shit and he doesn't like Whittington anyways. But he does have a solid, like, point in how he handles this. As soon as this, like, meeting is over, since it is his jurisdiction, he tells Whittington and everyone else that is involved, do not pick up uh, David or Midget this is my investigation, and if you go and pick them up before I have a chance to validate what this statement says, you're going to fuck it up, pretty much. So, yeah. So, anyways, Coon didn't buy if it. If anybody's going to fuck up this investigation, it's going to be me. That's exactly right. <laughs> you're exactly right. <laughs> Would you like your socks washed while I'm at it? <laughs> Uh, so he went and visited the pathologist that conducted Brenda's autopsy. Midget's confession implies that Brenda drowned. 
If she was tied up, she would have drowned. Mm -hmm. After speaking with the pathologist again, he was certain she didn't. The pathologist told him she died by ligature strangulation. Which was not mentioned anywhere in that statement. No, it was not. They interviewed David Whaley again, and he was kind of pissed off that they were re-interviewing him. He repeated the same story that he had given agents previously, and so agents brought in Dennis Midget. And this is what Dennis Midget tells the agents now. And this is a quote, or his complete statement. Over the past 10 months, I have no idea how many times Chief Whittington has picked me up, ridden me around in his police car, and questioned me about David Whaley and the death of Brenda Holland. On the night of July 22, 1968, Chief Whittington carried me to the police department, and I made the statement that David Whaley and me had been riding around on the night Brenda Holland was missing. And we saw her, and David Whaley picked her up and tied her up and tried to rape her, and then threw her overboard off Manteo Bridge. The reason I made this statement was because Chief Whittington was about to drive me crazy, and I had told him over and over and over that I did not know anything about the Brenda Holland case. Chief Whittington would not, would not leave me alone. He would come pull me off my job, get me out of my house, and question me about the death. Once me and my girlfriend were uh, drinking on, out one night, and Whittington carried me out and interviewed me about the case. I told Chief Whittington I knew nothing about the case. The information I gave in the statement was the general talk around Mantillo. All I wanted was for Chief Whittington to leave me alone and quit pestering me about Brenda Holland's death. I knew nothing of this death, and I want you all to know I knew nothing, as I stated to you all earlier in this investigation. I wanted this to be the end of this, and I don't want Chief Whittington to ever say anything else to me about it. This statement I gave earlier is not true. I am sorry I caused all the embarrassment and extra work. Maybe Chief Whittington will now leave me alone. He told me, he would get a lot of publicity and maybe a reward for solving the case. Sounds familiar. Doesn't it? Let's pick on the weakest link. Mm-hmm. Let's coerce a false confession from somebody who has a low IQ. That's so... I've heard it a few times. Ugh. I just... I mean, that was... That happened in the Ozark case. Ozark <sighs> girls. Happened in that? Uh, uh, what about, um, Brendan Dassey? Mm-hmm. Um, the West Memphis Three? Um, they, there's multiple cases of this where a police officer just gets it in his head. And I don't even, like, I don't even know if Whittington actually thought that David Whaley was an actual suspect or if he could get an easy close and get accolades for it. By... Well, and sometimes they really genuinely don't. Because you got to think about the time period too. Some of these police officers just thought they were doing good police work. They had just convinced these people to finally tell the truth. And there wasn't a lot of information about coerced confessions and coerced statements. They didn't really talk about that as much as they do now. And I think that's why these things are coming out now is we recognize this is not okay. 
Um, we recognize that a lot of these statements that are taken later on, if we look at the news, the media prior to that, they're not giving anything that wasn't already in there. Yeah. So you start putting these pieces of the pie together, you realize, well, this, this, there's nothing in here that would indicate that this is new information or that this person actually did any of this or saw any of this. And I just don't. I think back then it wasn't, it wasn't um, monitored as well and, and they weren't trained as well to not do it. I do think some of them obviously did it intentionally because they wanted to close a case, but yeah. I, devil's advocate, I think some of them genuinely thought they were doing good police work and didn't realize that they were coercing a person into giving a specific statement. I can see that there was, and there wasn't a lot known about like court, like just in general, like the psychology behind like, coercion and things like that well not in your police department and actually not to this day but whatever uh we won't get into that well in the psychology of just browbeating somebody over and over and over and just harassing them what that can do to you mentally i mean i'm sure they didn't think that way back then they thought well if you're guilty, then you're going to say something. If you know something, you're going to say something because you're just going to get tired of me coming to you. But they didn't realize that I'm going to say something anyway, just so you'll stop coming around. It so doesn't necessarily have to be true. I have a weird comparison for this. And it just like popped into my head when we were talking about this. When I was like, I want to say like 10 or 11 years old, we had a family friend who had a three-year-old. I want to say three or four-year-old. And he was in that Y stage. You know, why, 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 why? And there was one day where he just kept asking me why about stuff. And I finally told him because nobody loves you. (laughs) And he believed it. Oh my God, this is terrible. (laughs) And he cried and he was so upset. Like he would not leave his room for a whole day. And I was I was not well as a child, <laughs> but I had just been so run down by this. That went to a dark place. <laughs> asking me why constantly that I said the meanest thing that I could to get him to leave me alone. So if you have like this conditioning, like questioning that's going on, you're going to try anything to make it stop. Yeah. And that's what that comparison is. And it, I made it stop. I knew where you were going with it, but still, that's a terrible story. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> he's, anyway. he's fine today. <laughs> well, that's a relief. Thank you for that. I think. As far as you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. Um, so, Cahoon and agents cleared both men after this interview It was apparent that that they had nothing to do with Brenda's murder, and they told Ken Whittington as much. So, boom. Boom. Get out of our investigation. They're out of the running. They're done. However, almost four years goes by. And on Valentine's Day, 1971, Dr. Linus Edwards called his friend Dwight Wellis at 6 p.m., Dr. Edwards wanted him to come over and had also called requesting Dr. Harvey, the general town, the town's general practitioner and Sheriff Cahoon to come to his house that night. At this point, by the way, uh, him and Dottie had divorced and he was by himself. 
Dr. Harvey. Huh? Good for Dottie. Oh, yeah. Good for her. Get it, girl. Dr. Harvey missed the call, uh, and it's not known why the sheriff's office didn't respond to his call immediately. But when Wellis arrived about an hour later, he found Dr. Edwards lying on the kitchen floor, bleeding from a head wound. His 22 caliber pistol was nearby. Dr. Edwards was still alive and rushed to Naval Hospital in Portsmouth, Virginia, where he lived another two days and eventually succumbed to the head wound. There's some speculation on whether this was an attempt to kill himself or not. On that day, Dr. Edwards had actually just returned home after a week in an institution to dry out after a long bender. His friend, Wheelis, who was the one who found him on his kitchen floor, was the one who actually picked him up and dropped him back home. After that, Dr. Edwards delivered a set of dentures to his friend, W.W. Harvey, which is the doctor he also requested to come to his house, the town's general practitioner. Harvey wasn't home, but the door was unlocked, and Dr. Edwards left the dentures on Harvey's dining room table and left. Dr. Edwards called his friend twice that afternoon before the final call to come over, and Willis said he sounded perfectly normal on the first two calls. He was making plans to reopen his office on Monday. Also, a twenty-two is a small gun, mm-hmm. and he would know that being in the military. You'd think. Then there's the hand he used. He was shot in the upper left side of his head. So he used his left hand. And this was what kind of a gun? A twenty-two. Right, but... Pistol. Like... Yeah, that... But he used his left hand. And if you remember previous, his previous attempt at his own life... He, he slit his left, left wrist. wrist, which would have been with his right hand. So. That doesn't make much sense. He was right-handed on his first attempt, and he was left-handed on his second. I mean, I guess he could have, but it just doesn't make sense. If you were going to, your automatic would have been to use your right. Unless he was ambidextrous. Maybe, but that would, I mean, you would think he would go with whatever his primary would be. And if he primarily used his right hand, then that's typically what you would go with, I would think. But you would think at the same time, all I could think of was, man, how times have changed or at least should have changed because you release him from a hot, from an institution to dry him out. You let him go home by himself and there's a gun in the house. That's 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 a lot of pitfalls right there. I don't think we're very well monitored. Um, and he's calling a doctor, which made me wonder. That does make it kind of seem like maybe that was his intention, but the doctor was his friend, so maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, some speculate that he called the sheriff that doctor because he was his friend, and his other friend, who was actually his lawyer, too, Willis was his lawyer to give a confession. Mm. But that never happened. 
because something happened before. That is correct. There was a notepad on the table in the kitchen with some figures on the pad, but no suicide note. Why did Dr. And see, I read this in here. Why did Dr. Edwards want his lawyer, Wheelis, a doctor, and the sheriff that night? Question mark. Well, the doctor could attest to his soundness of mind. His lawyer could defend him, and the sheriff could take a statement. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It is an interesting three to invite over. It really is. Night. And, you know, if he was drying out and he was sober for a decent amount of time, guilt could have eaten at him mm-hmm. and he could have wanted to make a confession. It's very possible. And he could have just sat there long enough on his own guilt without. Because the other thing, too, was he he had called his uh, doctor friend. um to come over but he was at a valentine's day event with his wife wheelis his lawyer and his friend who took him to get dried out said when he called him hey i'll be over but um my wife has the flu and i have to get my kids down first so it took him an hour to get there and then the sheriff's department never responded so he might have just sat there long enough and said well fuck it yeah because you don't and that's me, again, that's me speculating. Well, and too, you know, when you're in, if it was guilt, he probably had depression at the very least with it. Um, I mean, imagine that. Like, I feel bad about this. I, even if it wasn't that, even if it, it had nothing to do with that and it was just about him wanting to see three friends, he called three friends and none of them dropped anything to come see him like that would be depressing and that would be hard so i mean even outside of the other situation being a possibility that would be enough in my opinion but then add to it maybe he was feeling guilty and maybe he was doing this that makes it doubly worse i mean he's just sitting there in his emotions and waiting me every three days a month I hate sitting in my emotions. That's why I have to change the radio from emo to some kind of poppy dance something for a few minutes and get get my emotions out of my head. Are you kidding me? I love it. And that's why I rewatch Twilight once a month <laughs> and cry. I just think it's funny. Twilight made you cry. Oh, well, mostly I cry about that CGI baby. And scares me. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Uh, anyway, so throughout the years, Cahoon and SBI agents continued to concentrate on Danny Barber. But after Dr. Edwards died uh, by suicide, Cahoon and SBI agents let the case die. Police Chief Ken Whittington continued to try and pin the murder on David Whaley. The June after uh, the June after Dr. Edwards died by suicide, David Whaley married a young woman. He picked his studies back up at Eastern Carolina University and seemed to be doing well. By the following September, Whaley was dead. His obituary said he died after a critical ir- illness of three months and requested donations be made to a cancer fund. The family never said exactly what he died of, but our assumption is that he died of cancer. Right. 
Um, I did. I did read where uh, Whittington did finally let go of the Whaley suspicion and actually started to look into Doctor Edwards. But at that point, he was kind of a disgrace and bloody, bloody blah. Didn't go very far. Yeah. Many, many years later, Dottie would come out and make statements that Dr. Edwards was Brenda's killer. That he had confessed many times to her and blamed her for leaving that night. If she hadn't left, he wouldn't have killed Brenda. That sounds really clear. I mean, that's that's what an abuser would say. Blame somebody else. Yeah. Um, And... it's, yeah. it's a weird thing for her to say that he said to, to that level. It's just weird to me. It was almost, it almost, it, it kind of gave me chills, honestly. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. It, in that abusive type of situation, it is. I, I can see it. I, I just find it. I think she felt guilt and she finally came out and said something. And then she didn't stop saying anything. And. She went to SBI agents. She gave statements. Her uh, daughter gave statements. Her daughter actually ended up being friends with Kim, who was Brenda's younger sister. Oh. So they ended up being, like, really good friends. And So I guess Dottie didn't move away then uh-uh. when they got a divorce. She stayed in town. No, Dottie was a, That's pretty cool. a native. Yeah. Uh, well, and Kim's, uh, Kim actually isn't local. She would come and, like, visit and... You know, all this other stuff. So they ended up having a relationship. Uh, and they got close and they talked about the case. And obviously they talked to Rayleigh about the case and things like that. Well, and it makes sense that if it was him and he did confess to her that she wouldn't say anything because she would be scared for her life and the lives of her kids. I mean, he was already pretty awful. This was something about him being put away for, he would assume, the rest of his life. He'd definitely say it that way. So... And who knows if if that was the situation. He would have had 9,000 things of, to say about how it was going to affect her negatively, whether he was going to turn. Oh, they believe me. They'll listen to me. All I have to do is tell them that you did it because you were jealous. Blah, 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 blah. And I mean, based on the evidence <laughs> that we've talked about, he easily could have done that, I think. And yeah. just put it right on his wife. Yeah, probably. I totally So, I mean... That. Once he was gone and she felt safe, uh, you know, I I could see too her waiting because it's like, well, what's the point now? It's been so long. And then eventually just saying, I, you know, I got to. I got to talk about it. I can't hold it in anymore. I mean, that makes sense to me. Oh, it does to me, too. Um, Yeah, it's just a it's a sad. It's a sad conclusion. He died. Without us ever getting, like, real answers. But, I mean, I guess in a way we kind of do have answers, but not just definitive answers. Yeah, it doesn't really give the full, quote-unquote, closure that you would want in a case like this. Yeah. So, in 1995, Deputy R.D. Buddy Tillett took a crack at Brenda's case himself. And while he was looking at it, things with while he was looking at things with fresh eyes, a few years after reopening the case, Buddy left for another job. He believed Dr. Edwards was the killer, though, before he left. 
In the summer of 2018, a retired SBI agent, Tony Cummins, picked up the case. He had a reputation for solving cases such as this, but his, his success depended heavily on physical evidence. And that evidence was now missing. The SBI claimed to have sent all of the evidence back to local law enforcement, and now all of it is missing. Surprise. So there's but that's so unlike them. There's literally nothing left in it. Even the pathology report is missing. That's insane. Yeah. So as of today, at least in the West Memphis three, they lit the whole thing on fire as a justification for evidence being destroyed. Yeah, this is just missing. Well, yeah. we just misplaced that one box. Yeah. Well, like if it was sent back to the local law enforcement, local law enforcement didn't have a lot of storage. And what they would do is just get rid of evidence to make room for more evidence. It was a common practice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how we do things. Mm -hmm. So, as of today, Brenda Holland's case is still unsolved. In Rayleigh's book, he actually does go over what he believes happened that night, and it's a compelling story that he tells. I'm not going to repeat it because I want you to read his book because it's excellent. <laughs> but it does it does pin the blame on Dr. Edwards. And I can see it's very compelling what he says about Dr. Edwards. Again, do I think Dr. Edwards did it? I don't know. I think there's a very good case for the fact that he did it. But I also think that a lot of people overlooked Rob Breeze in this. And Rob Breeze had more motive to do it than anyone else. In my opinion. Yeah. But there's just so little to tie him to it. Outside of motive. And maybe the ability. I mean even if we scratch out the alibi aspect that they said he had. And say he didn't have an alibi. There was so little evidence like gathered for that. And it just wasn't covered that. I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with you. Totally had motive. And I could totally see him doing it just based on the character that was described. But with nothing else to go on. Well, yeah. And, you know, don't sue me. Robberies if you're still alive. Whatever. Um, but the whole thing is motive means opportunity. And if his friend had told him later that night that, hey, I just saw your girl you've been trying to hook back up with out with another dude... Yeah, I mean, he could definitely have done it. I'm like I said, I, I'm not going to say otherwise, but that's literally all it is. Is he could have? He had the opportunity. He had the motive. Sure, he had the means, but that's it. He he had all of these things possibly, but you can't definitively prove any of it. Well, you can't definitively. I mean, he could have he could have gone to her and had a fight and smacked her around and then walked away true i mean sometime maybe he wouldn't have wanted to kill her because he would have wanted to put her in her place fair enough. and then go back to her later so i mean it could go a lot of different ways i mean those types of people do have a tendency to fly off the handle but i feel like the greater majority of them don't 
actually kill the other person. They might beat them pretty bad sometimes, but taking it all the way through, I don't know. So what are your thoughts? Who, who do you, who you think done it? I don't think it was Danny at all. I think that was just, yeah, I never thought it was. Danny. Honestly, I kind of feel like that was dumb to focus on him. He gave the same story multiple times years apart in some of these situations i don't think he's making it up at this point well and it's interesting too because he grew up to be like very successful uh he actually did die uh in, i think in the early 2000s something like that at 60 something years old but uh, an sbi agent who was a part in that book and i can't remember exactly which sbi agent it was but basically, one of the SBI agents was being heckled by somebody about Danny Barber. And that SBI agent lashed out and said, you don't know the full story. You don't know what we have on him. Which, to me, is overly defensive. Mm-hmm. So, I just... I yeah, I, I think it's too much. I, I, I don't think it would be him... Um, or, you know, and I definitely don't think it was the two roommates that they had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I I feel like Edwards makes the most sense. I would agree. And he, you know, I, I do think that there's a case for, um, the other kid, but the, in the false confession thing, those two boys, I don't think they had anything to do with it either. I think they were just being heckled and bothered and. David and Dennis, yeah. They had no, they had nothing to do with that. Um, and the two I think men. it would be narrowed down to these two individuals. And of the two, it seemed like there was more work being done trying to cover it up for Edwards. Like, it just... It just smelled rotten of a cover-up. That I don't see them doing it for that kid. Quite to the level that they seem to do it for if it had been Edwards because he was such an upstanding citizen. I mean, if it was the kid, they could, they, they might've tried to cover it up, but more than likely they wouldn't have been going to that level. I mean, they were, it made it seem like they were trying to remove any possible way of gathering any kind of solid evidence for one person. Yeah. Cause I mean, they fucked up. All of the evidence. All of it. it was Who washes clothes before you give it to the FBI? Don't sit there and tell me that you were trying to be nice. You were not that dumb. Who allows a local photographer to take a necklace off of a corpse and pull skin away with it? And then wash well, that well, That's, that's the one that I can say I'd play devil's advocate and say, okay, well, you know, small town, weren't really thinking about it. They just said, take pictures of this. They didn't, they turned their backs, not paying attention because they're just being maybe, you know, loosey goosey about it or whatever. Um, and that happened. Okay. You know, I'll, I'll give them that one. But the clothing thing, that's just chain of evidence. That's basic. That's not changed that much since the, that time. There's no way that they thought that if they cleaned it, the evidence would still be on it. That's just not possible. They didn't yeah. want the FBI to have that evidence. Yeah, uh, there was something weird going on there. And then the the professional photographer that would be used in a court case, all of it was blank. No, no, no. 
the the professional photographer, all of his pictures came out. It was the uh, other, it was the actual officer that was on the scene taking pictures. There was an officer there taking pictures, and those pictures would have been used in the court case. Well, that's what I'm saying. The pictures that would have been used in the court case. Gone. Nothing. That's that's a coincidence, too. I mean, that's... Edwards must have been born under a special star. Sounds like that. I can say. So. But I will say one thing. If it was him, it doesn't seem like he ever did anything like that ever again. So it does seem a little odd. Um, There must have been some kind of special circumstance there that would have pushed him to that. Could it have been that argument with Dottie that night? Well... I think what it was was a case, if it was Edwards, it was a case of missing identity. It was like mistaken identity. Yeah, and that just fits too. Because so. they did look so much alike. And their hair was just about the exact same. Yeah. Color, style, length. So. They, had, they were similar in height. Uh, they were similar in weight. They also both had long necks. Um, the only thing that is weird is the blouse was never recovered, right? Yeah. So that's a little odd. Um, but that could be any number of things. It could have been ripped off in the sound. Yeah. And the other thing that occurred to me too, is if it was him, he could have, I I wonder if he could have not realized that it wasn't her until, well, number one, obviously it could have been while he was in the middle of doing it and now it's like uh well she's gonna she's gonna tell somebody that's possible but also i wonder if he just never realized it until he got home and she came back uh actually that is yeah i think that's actually what happened because Dottie, because i mean can you imagine being completely drunk and doped up or while he wouldn't be doped up because it was after that but being completely drunk coming home thinking you did that and then she walks through the door. Like at first she would have to think he was seeing a ghost. But that would then that would be why maybe Dottie would have found out about it. Because he would have been blaming her because it should have been her. So when Dottie returned home, she said that he became very, um, his face got white. And he said, I thought you were dead. When she showed up after this. So the assumption is that he didn't know it was Brenda he had killed. I mean, it makes it does. It makes a lot of sense. It does. But if we're taking the word of Dottie. True. You know, there's no there's no hard evidence on anyone in this. And there never will be because it was all put in a dishwasher. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of cases that have been tried with purely circumstantial evidence. But I do feel like there's way more circumstantial evidence pointing to him than anything anything or anybody else. Yeah, I would agree. For sure. I mean, for that matter, it could have been a completely random person that doesn't even live there. It could have been just a Passer vagabond. Back. Yeah. You know, there's no telling. Yeah. So that's the Good case. Brenda Holland I don't like million part case. I don't like uh, the lack of concrete closure, but good case. Thanks. Good that's, case. 
Um, I I will not be doing another three-parter. This was too hard. I can't do it again. <laughs> it was too much. You weren't even the one that's having to wait for the rest of it. No, I know. And I'm sorry. If I ever do a three-parter again, we're going to do it all in one night so you don't have to wait. But like, Thank you. Appreciate that. But I doubt I'll do a three-parter. It was a lot. Two-parters are a lot. I can yeah. only imagine. And we're an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Each one. This is what? Four, four and a half hours into this case. Five. We're over five uh, hours. Yeah. So uh you're welcome, listeners. Um <laughs> you wanted you, you wanted more. <laughs> you wanted longer episodes. We we brought it to you. Um we should have some some fun ones coming up here soon. So break this up. Break this up a little bit for you. In the meantime, Samantha, where can our listeners actually didn't we have somebody we wanted to shout out? Oh, uh, yeah. Hang on. Pause it. Yeah, so didn't we have somebody, before we, we end this episode, we had somebody we wanted to give a shout out to? Yes. And I'm not going to say her full name, even though followers of our Facebook page can see her. But just to be respectful, Miss Brown um, actually commented on one of our posts and she specifically uh, had looked at our Southwest Molester post or uh, podcast and had asked about um, where we were from because she had seen so many of our stories had been in Huntsville because apparently she's from Huntsville and uh, mentioned some information about that case. So Thank you so much for interacting with us. It's really cool that you used to live in Huntsville and now you live in North Carolina. I mean, small world. Yes, it's insane. So. <laughs> I was like, I had to hurry up and take a picture of it. I, I screenshotted it because Montana was on vacation, of course, last week. So I took a screenshot and sent it to her. I was like, this is too eerie. Like, look at this whole situation. <laughs> this is bizarre. So um, thank you so much for interacting with us. And I hope that you enjoy listening to the podcast. I hope you listen to this case so you can hear your shout out. But yeah, no kidding. Um, and we love when when people interact with us on our social media. Like I've said, most most of the time, it's probably going to be Samantha who, who responds to you. If it's something stupid in response, it's me. Um, possibly. Pr- more than likely if the if the response doesn't make a lot of sense and it's sarcastic it's probably me and i am sorry in advance but we we do love i do see (laughs) all of the comments i do see all the messages and things like that just probably later than samantha does because samantha is our social media guru (laughs) yeah guru that's the word (laughs) i would you could use that word uh, but no, thank you guys so much. And uh, also, we hit 100 followers on, on Instagram, Instagram. which is cool. So, hey, how about that? Uh, well, three months later? Three months? I think it's three, three months. months. I don't know. Right around three months. That's not too bad. Um, so keep sharing. Keep keep an eye on the social medias. Interact with us. We love it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can, well, we're, we're kind of mixing this up. Yeah. Uh, Oh, by the way, and if you want to follow us and interact with us on Instagram, we are at Reaper Tales Podcast. And we are at Reaper Tales Podcast on Facebook. You can email us at ReaperGirls at ReaperTales.com. That's wrong. Hmm? That's wrong. What did I say? Reaper Girls. Oh, Reaper Gals. I'm looking right at it. I don't know why I did that. 
<laughs> at ReaperGals at ReaperTales.com. I have I'm to leave, write it down. I'm leaving it in. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> who cares? Be sure to uh, send us your show suggestions in uh, at our uh, to our email. Um, <laughs> now you do. No, I can't do it. <laughs> Uh, if you do have uh, show suggestions, I do only have one request uh, in the subject of your email. Just put show suggestions, um, just so we know how Help to us. the email. Yeah. Yeah. Help it stand out. Yeah. Um, or you can just say, hey, we love you so much on the subject. And that, that of course, will make my day. Um, be we'll sure read that to- one first. Yeah, we'll always read those first. Uh, if it says you hate us or anything like that, it's immediately in the trash. Um, be sure not that we've ever gotten that before. No, we haven't. Not yet. Um, well, we've gotten some harassers, but whatever. Those got deleted. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. The more you like, rate, review, and subscribe to our shows, not only do you know when we get a new episode out and coming soon, that's October, hint, hint, we might have some bonus content coming out for That's right. season. More than once a week. More than once a week. Uh, so you'll get notified when that comes out, whatever platform you're subscribed to. But liking, rating, and reviewing our podcast just makes sure that other people find it. Um, and if you could share posts or share links to to the podcast that's helpful too that is get the word out there get it out there because we're just excellent we're beautiful we have wonderful voices we have and at some point you might actually be able to confirm the beautiful aspect when we start doing video live recordings but until then the reaper will come